All right, if you guys have been here on Sunday mornings, you know that on Sunday mornings for the past several weeks, really the past couple of months, we're walking through the Gospel of Mark together as a church. Can somebody in the back just tell me if you can hear me real quick? Are we good? Okay. So we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark as a church together on Sunday morning. This morning we have made our way to Mark chapter 4, and we're about to dive into this text together. I just want to remind you of something before we pray. You've had a couple of reminders of this, and just the Lord orchestrated it this way. You've had some reminders already today about how powerful the Word of God is. You've you've been reminded of that. This is a fire. This is a hammer. This is the words of the living God. This is the words recorded for us. This is the revelation of God Himself. And we get to dive into this together. We get to spend the next hour unpacking this powerful, powerful Word. And so I hope, I hope that that excites you. I hope that you believe that this is the Word of God. And I hope that you're excited about God has a Word for us today. Okay? God has a Word for us today. And I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean we can dive into this book and unpack what God said. God has a Word for us today. So let's pray together before we get started. Lord, we, we come to You In the name of Jesus. And we remind ourselves, God, that you never hear us. You never answer our prayers according to our own righteousness. But it's always according to your great mercy. And that's our plea today, Lord. We plead for mercy and for grace. And we praise you, Lord, that you revealed yourself to us as a gracious God in Jesus Christ. And we thank You that we are in Jesus today. And Lord, we come in His name, God. And we ask, Lord, that You would teach us Your Word. We ask, Lord, that You would take us as a people and You would inform our minds, God. We want to think about You right. We want to think true thoughts about You, Lord. And we pray, God, that You would use Your Word and conform our hearts. We want to feel the right things for You, Lord. We want to love You with everything that we have. And we want to love you in spirit and truth. God, we pray that you would exalt Jesus during this time. That you would exalt your Son. Holy Spirit, we cry out, Lord, that you would exalt Jesus Christ among us. Highly exalt Him. Reveal Christ to us. Show us Christ, Lord, from your Word. God, we ask for the ability that you supply both to teach and to hear. And we just want to lean against you. We just want to have a moment where we just put our trust in you, God. In you and in your words. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we made our way to Mark chapter 4. Been coming through the, the Gospel of Mark. This section that we're about to dive into together is a section of the teaching of Jesus. Okay, And what I mean by that is if you been following along really close to this point, we have not had much detail up to Mark chapter 4 of the content of what Jesus taught, okay? So we're about to change that. We're about to dive into, in depth, into one of Jesus' teachings. Specifically today, we're going to unpack Jesus' parable about the four different types of soil, okay? And I just want to kind of tell you something on the front end. There's some work that we need to do together as we walk through this text that's going to be labor, okay? It's going to be some work. Some of you might feel like we're digging a ditch in concrete for the first few minutes, okay, of our time together, and I would just encourage you to press on. There's some things here that we need to understand, okay, before we get to how this applies to us, okay? So just hang in there. We're going to walk through this passage. We're going to to seek by the power of the Holy Spirit, to just let the Word of God be exposed to us. That's our aim during this time. Okay, So just a heads up, there's some labor coming at you. And I would encourage you just to press in and to listen. This parable, the parable of the souls, is unique because this parable is foundational. Okay, You can jump down to uh, verse 13. Um, You know what? We're supposed to read this text together and we didn't. So I'm going to do that now. This is not a good start. So we're going to read this text together. And then uh, we'll jump into what I was about to tell you about verse 13. Here is the word of God. Uh, All our hope is in these words. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And I'm going to read all the way down to verse 25. It says this. This is the word of God. Again, 
he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and, those, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. And they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest and nothing, and nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is the word of God. This parable, Jesus tells us that this parable is foundational. Verse 13, He flags us on that. That there's something about this parable that if you don't understand, you will not understand any other parables. Okay, It's foundational. It's like a key that unlocks the rest of the parables. One teacher called this parable a paradigmatic parable. And what he was getting at is once you understand this parable... It's like a paradigm shift in your understanding of the Great Commission. So Jesus is about to give us a story that explains why people respond the way that they do when they hear the Gospel. Okay, This is a paradigm shift. Jesus knows that this parable is foundational and therefore Jesus explains this parable to His disciples in great detail. And we're going to jump into that together. Let's start with verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Let's try to blow through this first part quick. Verse 2 is important because it sets the parable in a context. And what I mean by that is Jesus was teaching them. And the them in verse 2 is the great crowd from verse 1. Okay? That's who received this parable. Now that's important to know. You need to know the audience in, these, in, these, in this passage because this parable is actually taught twice in this passage by Jesus. Okay? And the thing that sets them apart are the audiences that the parables are taught to. The first time, Jesus proclaims this parable to a crowd in public. The second time, Jesus explains this parable to His disciples in private. So I want you to see the audience of this, par- of, of this first proclamation of this parable. And then notice, how is Jesus teaching this crowd? How is He doing it? Mark tells us that He begins to teach them in parables. 
Now notice that parable there is in the plural form. He taught them many parables. Okay? He taught them many things. But Mark only records a few parables for us in this chapter. Therefore, Mark has taken great detail to sift through the teaching of Jesus. And he basically said to us, this is what, we, this is what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. Okay? He taught them parables. And then we have this record. A parable is a method of teaching okay, that uses an earthly story to convey a heavenly meaning. Does that make sense? It's an earthly story and it's used to help somebody better understand a spiritual truth. That's a parable. The word parable means that you take one thing and you lay it beside something else for the purpose of comparison. It's a very broad category. A parable can, can be a very broad category. They can be In the Scriptures, they can be one sentence or they can be 25 verses like the ones we just read. Okay? This is a parable. Verse 3. Jesus starts His teaching with this word. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. I want you to hear this. Jesus begins and ends this parable with a command to hear. Or your version might say, listen. That's how He starts and finishes what He says. Okay? In fact, the Greek word behind this word to listen is used ten times in this chapter. Okay? This ought to flag you that the Holy Spirit has something to say to us today from this text. Listen is, is the command. Hear is the command. And the parable that we're about to dive into is about the, respons- the different responses that people have after they hear the Word of God. He says, a sower went out to sow. And this story would have been easily understood by anyone in Jesus' audience that day. This was an agrarian society. And Jesus chooses a story about a farmer to speak to this people. A modern day translation of this phrase, a sower went out to sow, would sound something like a farmer went out to plant some seed. Okay? This is what he's this is the earthly story that he's about to draw a spiritual meaning to. During this time period, the sower would have had a bag across his shoulder, and he would have walked over uh, these fields and he would have taken his hand. And it's called the broadcasting method. And he would have just slung seed everywhere that you could imagine. This is the sower that went out to sow. And this story may not make very much sense unless you know that in this culture, in our culture, we plow and then sow seed. In this culture, they sowed seed and they drug the plows over the top of the earth to cover up the seed with dirt. So this sower is not wasting a bunch of seed. This sower intends to plow this seed into the soil. The sower went out to sow. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Okay? Now we're about to walk through the earthly section of this parable. So hang tight. Okay? Hang tight. You've got to get the agricultural analogy. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. The first place that Jesus tells us that some of the seed fell is on the path. Okay? In this culture, there were no fences around the fields. There were no borders to these fields. Okay? And the borders in this culture were called paths. All right? And these doubled as roads. They're about three foot wide paths. And the way people got from one place to the next was they walked along the paths. They were uncultivated. And because of heavy foot traffic, they were as hard as asphalt. Okay? And this is where Jesus tells us that some of the seed fell. Now, if you've ever tried to plant seed on really, really, really hard ground, you know that that ground will not accept seed. The seed sits on top of really hard ground. The ground doesn't accept the seed. Okay. Now, Jesus tells us that that's exactly what happened to the seed. It's sitting on top of the ground and birds of the air come down and they devour this seed. And birds are familiar problems to farmers. If you never knew that, go home and Google what a scarecrow is. And you'll, you'll find that out. It's been a problem for farmers for a long time because they eat seed. Okay? Verse 6. Verse 5 and 6. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depths of soil. 
And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it was withered away. Okay, the next place Jesus tells us that some of the seed lands is called rocky ground. Now listen to me. This is not a reference to a dirt with a bunch of rocks in it, pebbles in it. Farmers would have got that out. This is a reference to large areas of limestone that were just under the surface of the, of the, of the earth. Okay? And this would have been a common condition in Israel. And this is why Jesus said that in this area, there wasn't much soil and the soil was not very deep. Because a layer of limestone was just under the surface. This environment would have caused the seed to sprout and grow very rapidly until the summer heat set in. Okay? And in shallow soil, as the summer heat set in, the heat would draw the water out of the superficial soil, out of the surface layers of the soil. And at this point, plants would need to take their roots deeper to find more water. But the problem in this soil is that that layer of limestone that's just under the surface would have not allowed the plant roots to go any deeper. Okay? And here you have a problem. You have the summer heat beating down on plants that can't get water. And what happens when, when that happens? Jesus tells us the, the sun scorches it and the plants wither and die. This is the rocky soil. Verse 7, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. The next place that Jesus tells us that the seed lands is among thorns. The Greek word for thorns here is the word acanthus. This is actually a variety of a thorny shrub that grows all throughout Palestine. And when the Scriptures tell us that Jesus... Right before his crucifixion wore a crown of thorns, that's actually an, an acanthus crown that was placed on the head of Christ. Okay? They basically grew everywhere in Israel. These were perennial plants. What that means is they died back every winter except for the root ball right under the surface. And then in the springtime, these things would begin to pop up all over the countryside in Israel. And Jesus tells us that some of the seeds fell among these thorny plants. And because these thorny plants were very aggressive, they would choke other plants by drinking the water, stealing the sunlight, and competing for root space. And the effect was they would choke the life out of the other plants around them. Any grain planted around these thorny plants would yield no grain. Verse 8, Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain, Growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Lastly, Jesus tells us that some seed fell in good soil. This soil would have been deep, soft, and rich. Nothing would have been competing for nutrients in this soil. And the effect of the seed being planted in this good soil would that it would yield a harvest. That it would yield an increase. Do you understand this simple agricultural story? Okay? It's about a farmer planting seed. Okay? Back to verse 8. Jesus does tell us something stunning in this verse. And it's easy to miss. The average yield for a crop of grain during this time period would have been a 7.5 fold yield. 7.58 fold yield. If you were a farmer and you had a 10 fold yield on your, on your crop, this would have been a great year for you. Okay? So here's the stunning thing that happens in, in the audience of Jesus. Jesus goes off the charts when He says, when He mentions 30-fold, 60-fold, and even 100-fold return on this seed. And this would have been a miracle harvest. Supernatural. Okay? And this would have caught the audience's attention. Alright, you have this simple, earthly, simple blue collar story and at this point you have no idea what it means okay verse 9 and he said he who has an ear he who has ears to hear let him hear with this statement Jesus commands this crowd to hear this word this is another imperative this is a command from a king hear and he's not commanding them to audibly listen to him y'all understand that it's not enough to have ears on your head. Everybody that was around him in that moment would have heard the audible words. And he's not saying that. Jesus is calling them to listen and to hear in a different way. He's commanding them to understand this story. 
What does this mean? As who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Okay, we have a shift. He was around a great crowd, but the audience has changed. And now Jesus is surrounded by his disciples in verse 10. Have you ever read the Gospels? This story is recorded in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. Have you ever read this story and just wondered, like, even the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. Even the ones who were with them, they didn't pick up what he was saying. Have you ever thought about why? What I want you to see is that parables can only be understood if they are explained. Okay? That's the only way that parables can be understood. There are earthly stories that, that convey a heavenly meaning, but if you don't know what the, what the spiritual truth that the earthly story is pointing to is, you're in the dark. You're flying blind. The only way that you can understand parables is to have an explanation now. Think about this. If you take a quick look back at the first nine verses, you'll see that Jesus gives this earthly story without any context whatsoever about what it means. Jesus left this parable before this great crowd. He left it unexplained. Verse 11. And He said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So Jesus tells His disciples that only they will be given the secret. Only they will be granted understanding because only they will be given this, this explanation as to what this parable of the sower means. Jesus tells His disciples that for those outside, everything will now come to them in parables. This is a reference to the crowds. So I want you to think about this very hard. This is a decisive shift in the ministry of Jesus. A decisive shift. Up until this point, Jesus has around a three-year ministry. At this point, we're about halfway through that three-year ministry. And up until this point, Jesus has been very upfront with the crowds that He has preached to. For a year and a half, He has gone around announcing Basically, this message, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. This was his message to the crowds. This was his message towards those who were outside. But here we have a shift in the ministry of Jesus. And we know from previously coming through Mark that the crowds, by and large, they were superficially attracted to Jesus. You've been told that several times, and we see that. That they're around Him, but they're not really interested in Him. They're seeking Him out for His miracles. And they are not responding to His message of repentance. This has gone on for about a year and a half now. And now we have a shift. And the shift is Jesus begins to implement a parabolic strategy. And the reason that Jesus does this may surprise you. Look at verse 12. It says this, So that... They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is a strange and terrible word from Jesus. It's a shift in his ministry. That verse starts with the word, so that. That's a purpose statement. I'm doing this for this reason, so that. And that flags us that Jesus is addressing those outside in unexplained parables for this reason. That they may indeed see but not perceive. That they may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. That verse will mess with your theology. Flat out it will. This is exactly what he is saying. He goes back and he quotes a verse from Isaiah chapter 6. This is a word of judgment from Jesus. And I want to tell you, there is a present judgment in this world. Not just a judgment that awaits us in the future. If you don't believe that, go read Romans chapter 1. And threefold, the wrath of God is revealed in a threefold way. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. There is a judgment in this life. And this is a word of judgment from Jesus. Listen to this quote from John MacArthur. 
Hiding the truth, open quote, hiding the truth is now just as important to Jesus as revealing the truth, close quote. This will mess with your theology. Jesus intends that this unexplained parable will sit in the minds of those hardened in the crowd as a word of judgment. Why would Jesus do this? Because Jesus has been consistently and clearly teaching this crowd for over a year and a half at this point. And just like Pharaoh, who hardened his heart, hardened his own heart, God now begins to harden their hearts. This is a warning for us that there is a great danger in hearing the gospel over and over and over again and not believing it. That is a very dangerous thing for you to do because hardness can set in, callousness can set in, and even a judgment from God can set in. It's a dangerous thing to hear the gospel over and over again and not respond. Listen to 2 Peter 2 verse 9. Listen to this verse. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. God knows how to do that. God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. This is a a strong warning. Now, this does not mean that parables are all bad. The Word of God is always effective. God's Word can accomplish multiple ends. Here's what I mean. The parables of Jesus are both expressions of grace and judgment. Grace to the disciples and judgment to the crowds. And the same parable, even the one that we're studying today, it can be used by God to reveal truth or conceal truth. Same parable. Listen to Isaiah 55, verse 11. This is the Word of God. So shall my my Word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And y'all know that we pray this. With a pure heart sometimes we say, God, make your Word effective. And God's sitting there in heaven saying, hey buddy, my word's effective. It never comes back to me void. Okay? And this verse teaches us that God's word is never ineffective. And the gospel is never ineffective. God will use His word to soften and save. Or God will use His word to harden and blind. God's word is effective. The same word can do both. Listen to this John Piper He compares this this word being effective in both ways to the sun. And here's what he says. The sun can melt something or it can bake something. It can refresh or it can kill. So all heard this parable that day, but not all heard the explanation. The crowds don't get the explanation. Only the disciples get the explanation. And we must have the explanation to understand. We're dependent on the explanation to understand. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So again, we remind ourselves from this verse that this is fundamental. This, sower, this parable of the sower and the souls is fundamental in order to understand the Great Commission. And Jesus is about to teach us why men and women respond the way that they do to the gospel. This is the secret of the kingdom of God because it tells us who's in the kingdom of God and who's out of the kingdom of God. This is how it helps you unpack the rest of the parables. This is why it's a foundational and a key. It's foundational to know who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. And this is the purpose of this parable. Verse 14, Jesus begins to unpack the explanation. Verse 14, the sower sows the Word. The story about a farmer sowing seed is actually a story about an evangelist preaching the Gospel. The sower sows the Word. The seed 
that is sown is the Word of God. This is a reference to the Gospel of Jesus, the message of the Kingdom. The seed is the Word of God. And the sower in this parable represents any person who preaches the Gospel to someone else. The sower sows the Word. Jesus is now about to tell us about the four ways that people respond to the Gospel being preached. And the four soils that we're about to look at are examples of four different types of human hearts. I'm going to say that again. The four soils are four different types of human hearts. Okay? The only thing that these four souls have in common in this text is that they all heard the Word. That's the only thing that they have in common. And this, this explanation is flagging you to how they responded after they heard the Gospel. And the main point of this whole passage today is about hearing the Word of God. This is how people respond. This is how people hear the Word of God. So listen up. Listen up. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan, Satan immediately comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. So Jesus explains the first category. Some hearts that hear the Gospel are like paths. These hearts have been trampled by sin and they're as hard as asphalt. These people hear about the judgment of God and the love that God has shown sinners in Jesus and it doesn't penetrate their hard hearts. Jesus compares this to a seed that's unable to penetrate the hard ground. The seed is left exposed on the surface and birds come and devour the seed and this is exactly what happens to the hard-hearted after they reject the Gospel. Satan comes and takes away the Gospel from their minds. And they don't understand the Gospel and they do not think about Jesus. This is the work of Satan. Now I want you to see how flesh, how the flesh and Satan work together in this verse. Satan did not make this person's heart hard. It was already hard. They rejected the Word. Satan enters in to this situation and uses it to his advantage. So know this about Satan and demons. They desire to interfere with the progress and the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus. And know this about your God, that Satan can do no more to interfere with the Great Commission than the sovereign God allows him to do. This is the ones that fell on the paths. Verse 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. This is the second category that Jesus explains to us. And it's like a heart that hears the Gospel like rocky ground. Unlike the first category. first category rejected the Gospel. This category, the Gospel is received, but only in a superficial way. This person hears the good news about Jesus and is immediately joyful and accepts this news. But, the joy about Jesus does not automatically mean that this person is converted. Just like the limestone under the soil. You remember that? Right under the surface of the soil, there was limestone. Just like the limestone under the soil, underneath this superficial layer of joy is a hard heart that ultimately rejects the real Gospel. This is an example of a spurious conversion marked by temporary enthusiasm. And this person did not obey the command of Jesus to count the cost. Jesus commanded us to count the cost. This person's superficial conversion is not immediately known. Look at the verse. Jesus says in this verse that they endure for a while. What does that mean? That means some time passes. We don't, we don't know exactly how much. Could be a little time. Could be a lot of time. They endure for a while. Their, their superficial conversion is not immediately known. But Jesus tells us exactly what flushes them out. What is it? 
Some time passes and something happens. Life gets hard. And we find out that these people have fair-weather faith. They're bandwagon fans. They only follow Jesus when things are going good for them, but they are unwilling to suffer for the name. Fair-weather faith in Jesus. Hard times will put pressure on a person's commitment to Christ. And these trials will test the nature of true conversion. And Jesus tells us that people who reject God or who turn on God in difficult times of trouble never knew God. These are the ones that fall on rocky ground. Verse 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. And they are those who hear the Word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. So this is the third category that Jesus is explaining to us. And He says that this category is like a heart that hears the Gospel among thorns. Here again, we have an example of a person who does not outright reject the Gospel. They initially receive it, but the problem is that they receive it with an unrepentant heart. They receive the Gospel with an unrepentant heart. You remember the, the example of the acanthus thorn. Just like the acanthus root that hides underground in the winter. This person's allegiance to sin has never been broken. The root was not dealt with and it produced a false conversion. The last category was a category of superficial emotion. But this person is double-minded. They want God and money. This person wants Christ and the world. This is an example of a person who receives the gospel without repenting of their sins. How common is that? How common is that in our culture? There's no break. True conversion breaks the power of sin, but false conversion never displaces sin in someone's life. The allegiance to sin and to the world is never renounced and broken. Take a look at what Jesus says preoccupies their hearts. The cares of the world... Or literally, the cares of the age. The age that we live in. The deceitfulness of riches. And listen to this, the desires for other things. These are the weeds of the world. And this person thirsts for security, for fame, and for pleasure. Ask yourself a question, even now. What dominates your thought life? What do you think about constantly throughout the day? What dominates the way that you spend your time? What dominates the goals that you go after in life? What are your aims? For some, the thing that dominates their life will be the things of the world, the pursuit of riches, or just desiring other things more than Jesus. These are the ones among the thorns. What I want us to see is that these things can either be blatantly sinful or deceptively idolatrous. The weeds of the world. Here's what I mean by that. The things that can choke out the gospel in your life can be blatantly sinful things. Like a heart that is preoccupied and dominated with the pursuit of riches. Greed. A heart that's preoccupied and dominated by sexual immorality or getting wasted all the time. This is an unrepentant heart. But there's also deceptive idolatry. And this can also choke out the life of the gospel in you. Here's what I mean. A heart it can also be preoccupied and dominated by sports, shopping, Family, friends, pets, recreations, jobs, social media, hobbies, or in the words of Mark chapter 4, other things. Just blanket statement, just other things can choke out the Word of God. 
Deceptive idolatry. This is an unrepentant heart. Anything that dominates the heart and the mind other than Jesus Christ will choke the gospel in your life. And people who come to Christ without ever repenting of these false gods are false converts. And they will never bear fruit. These are divided men and women. Part-time followers of Christ. Carnal Christians that are in fact no Christians at all. These are the ones that fall among the thorns. One commentator said that trials or pleasures can both kill you. Think about that. Bad things can reveal that you're not saved. Trials or pleasures, good things can reveal that you're not saved. So I plead with you this morning that you would search your heart and that you would know what dominates your heart, what dominates your thought life. Because surely... From Jesus' mouth, some fall among thorns. What do you desire more than Jesus? Is there anything in your mind that red flags to that question? What do you desire more than Jesus? If the first three souls describe you, any of the first three, you need to repent and to trust in Jesus. Because there's another type of soul, praise God. And you're only a moment away from this soul at any time if you would just repent and trust in Jesus. There's a, there's a fourth soul, verse 20. It says, But for those who were sown on, good, on the good soil are the ones who hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So finally, we come to the last category. As Jesus describes the heart that genuinely receives the gospel. And Jesus compares this heart to good soil. This is like good soil. This person has counted the cost. There's no shallowness in this person's profession. This person has repented of sin. There are no thorns choking this thing out. And the effect of the gospel being received by this type of heart is what? That they bear fruit. That they bear fruit. Listen to R.C. Sproul. Open quote. No one is justified by professing that they have faith. We must possess the faith that we profess to have. But how are we to know if we possess this faith? And then he says this, If the Word takes root, there will be fruit. Close quote. This is the law of the spiritual harvest. This is the law of the spiritual harvest. That every person who genuinely believes the Gospel will bear fruit. Every person, this is the law. This is how Jesus has set it up. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Jesus describes the fruit bearing in this verse in supernatural terms. 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I've already mentioned this to you before. This is a miraculous supernatural harvest. And Jesus intends to show us that even though not all Christians have the same fruitfulness, all Christians will have fruitfulness that cannot be explained as human. This is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. A spiritual explosion, the work of the Holy Spirit, the new birth, evidence that you have been regenerated by God. A new creation. So think about this. Is it not an awesome thing to look around this room and have people pop into your mind at every turn, surrounded by a group of people at this church, that their lives cannot be explained away in human terms? They have been touched by God. They have been made new creations. And that we can look all around this room and praise God for the supernatural work. This is the new birth. The indwelling Spirit of God, the indwelling Christ, and God has made all things new. For many and many in this room, this is the good soil. This is the ones, this is the ones who fall among the good soil. Praise God. Notice that God uses His Word here. The Word is what, pre what prepares the harvest. So, we've talked about this a little. God has chosen His words as a means to save. What that means is, is that how you respond to the Word of God will determine where you spend eternity. This is God's means to save. 
And this parable is sobering and encouraging. Here's what I mean. As we proclaim the Gospel of Jesus, we are to expect negative and positive results. Sobering, we are to expect negative. We are to respect rejection. But we are also to expect positive results. The first three souls rejected the Gospel. And just to be quite honest, rejection, there's there's a temptation towards discouragement for being rejected about Jesus. Okay, There's a temptation for that. But think about this. Some will respond. Some will believe. Some will repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. And Jesus tells us that a mighty harvest will follow a true conversion. Even 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. And that ought to be enough motivation for us to keep sowing seeds that there is a spiritual explosion among authentic, true believers. So the emphasis of this parable does not fall on the amount of seed that's wasted on the first three soils, but on the great harvest that's produced from the good soil. That's the emphasis of this parable, that there is an explosion in the people of God. Spiritual multiplication. Let's stop and ask this question. Why do so many people reject the Gospel? Why do so many people hear the news about Jesus and not believe? Either flat out rejected like the first soul, or they're flushed out by trials like the second soul, or they're unrepentant like the third soul. Why do so few respond? This is the question that plagues the modern church. And the, the majority... The majority response to that question is this. They say the problem is with the sower and the problem is with the seed. That means that they think the problem is because of the church. The sower and the seed. And here's what that sounds like. The sower is just too out of touch with the culture. He just doesn't understand what's going on. And the seed, that seed is just too offensive. That's the problem. There's too much... Consumer resistance. And the modern thoughts are that the sower needs to be cooler and that the seed needs to be made more palatable, that the culture would accept it. Target people's felt needs, then you'll get a response. That's the modern response to this problem of why so few respond to the gospel. But going the route of messing with the sower and the seed is a complete waste of time and unbelievably prideful. This parable teaches us nothing about the style of the sower. His job is very simply this. Give people the Word of God. Give people the Word of God. It's explained in simple terms like dropping seed on the ground. Nothing is said about the style of the sower. And the Word of God is powerful. The Gospel of Jesus is the power of God for salvation. So don't tamper with the seed. That's the point. The issue is not the sower or the seed. The issue is the hearts of men and women. That's the problem. That's why so few respond. Our methods cannot change the hearts of men and women. They can't. They never will. And attempts to change men and women's hearts by changing the style of sowers is just gimmicks and tricks and manipulation. And attempts to change men and women's hearts by manipulating the seed. Think about this. The moment that you touch it, it's corrupted. The moment that you change the seed, it's corrupted. This is the gospel, God's gospel, Romans chapter 1. The power of God. And when we change this message to make it more palatable, or to make it sound like we should think it should sound like, We make it a man-made gospel. It's a synthetic seed. And any mutated gospel is a false gospel. Don't tamper with the seed. Illegitimate strategies for evangelism will produce false converts. So So coming back off of this question is, be faithful. Okay? We cannot control how people respond to the gospel. We drop seeds on the ground. Be faithful and preach the biblical gospel. 
And remember this, that as we preach, there will be negative and positive responses. And here's what I mean by that. Remember that this is God's work. If somebody responds in a positive way to the gospel, don't get prideful. You didn't do that. God did that. And if you preach the gospel and you're rejected, don't get discouraged. Because you didn't make them reject the gospel. This is the work of God. He controls the response we sow the seed. Verse 21 and 22. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus, in mid-sentence, He just switches gears here and He's talking about fruit. And then in the next sentence, He's talking about light. And those are synonymous terms. There's no such thing as a Christian without light, just like there's no such thing as a Christian without fruit. It would be like a, a lamp that's hidden. That's a contradiction in terms. Verse 23 through 24. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. And He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If you're paying attention, even if you're just reading this passage, and you're quiet, you know, time with the Lord, it will be hard to miss the attention that this passage places on hearing the Word of God. Over and over and over again, you're commanded to hear it. And then Jesus is constantly flagging you on how different people hear. Your response to hearing the Word of God will affect where you spend eternity. Please listen to me. I'll say that one more time. Your response to the Word of God will determine where you spend eternity. Listen to R.C. Sproul again. He says, something very interesting happens in the Greek language. The verb to hear is the Greek word echoing. Okay? Just let that stick in your mind. And then he says the verb to obey is hoop echoing. And here's what he says, which simply adds the prefix H-U-P. And that just simply means hyper. And so he says, in biblical terms, obedience is hyper hearing. That's what it means. And so the hearing that Jesus is calling for and this passage is a call to response. It's a hearing that goes past the ears into the heart and causes someone to obey God. This is what Jesus is demanding. He's calling us to respond to His Word. That's what it means to hear, listen. The phrase, to the one who has, more will be given. This means that the one who has the secret of the kingdom of God, the disciples of Jesus, more will be given. And what this means is there is a fullness that awaits us in eternity. Because we have now, more will be given. But listen to this phrase, to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Luke's version of this sentence says, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. There is a person on this planet that thinks that they have something that they do not have. This is eternal life. They think that they have the secret of the kingdom. But they don't. And there's coming a day when what they think they have will be taken away from them. What this means for us, if we fail to grasp the mystery of the kingdom now, there's coming a day where we will be alienated from the kingdom of God for all eternity. Even what He has will be taken away. So I want to leave you with this question. Everybody in this room should know which category you fit in. Which one of these are you like? Which one of these four souls describe you? How have you responded to this message? I'll just ask you just for a second, just to listen to me, even close your eyes for just a second. How have you responded to this message? Don't think about anybody else but yourself. This is the message. You are a guilty sinner that faces an eternal death sentence from God the just judge. Yet God in unthinkable mercy sent His Son to save sinners just like you. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death on the cross as a substitute, as the Lamb of God. He takes your sins and your wrath and gives His life in your place. And three days later, this same Jesus 
was raised victoriously from the dead as King of kings and Lord of lords. This Jesus has demanded that you repent of your sins and put your trust in Him. And this Jesus, who can never lie, has promised to all who trust Him that they will receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Listen to me. How have you responded to that message? How, what have you done with that message? Hard heart? Shallow heart? Divided heart? Or good heart? Jesus demands that we repent and put all of our trust in Him. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. How you hear and how you respond to that message will determine where you spend eternity. Forever and ever and ever. You can look at me. The Word of God has landed on many of us today. It just happened. Mark chapter 4. We're just simply reading it and explaining it. And the Word of God has fallen on many of you here. What will you do with it? How will you respond? Jesus commands you, in verse 23, pay attention to what you hear. How important is that to you? I think we should be extremely practical about this. Pay attention to what you hear. And what I think we should do is that we should labor to listen intently every single time someone is talking to us about the Bible. And that's in a sermon or a one-to-one conversation or if somebody's talking about the Word of God on the radio while you're driving down the road, Jesus Christ says, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a commandment from God. It is a dangerous thing to hear the Bible as background noise. It needs to be in the front of your mind. Everything in your brain engaged. Pay attention to what you hear. Last thought, we could almost say that every person on the planet fits into one of these four souls, but it's not quite true. Okay? And we could almost throw this as a grid over entire humanity. But here's the problem. This parable only describes the responses of people who heard the Word, who heard the Gospel. And what I would remind you of is that as sowers, there's still billions on this planet that have never heard. And they can't slide into a category because they've never heard the Word. The seed has not been sown. And what this means for us is that there's still a lot of work for us to do. And we must be faithful to sow seeds. And we can't make judgment calls of who gets the gospel and who does not. Just like this sower, we indiscriminately sow this seed even to all the nations. This is our job. A sower went out to sow. Pay attention to what you hear. Let's pray. Lord, we want to come to You, God, and just to plead, Lord. We want to plead with humble hearts, God, that You would give us ears to hear. God, we confess to You that the only way that we will ever see is that if You open our eyes, the only way that we will ever hear, Lord, is that if You help us and we ask for mercy, Lord. God, we pray that You would plow up and soften hard hearts among us, Lord. God, and we pray that You would save, that You would save many around us, Lord, who've rejected the Gospel over and over and over again. We pray, Lord, that You would let light shine out of darkness and that You would reveal Yourself to them in all Your glory and all Your beauty. And we pray, Lord, that Your words would take deep root in our hearts, Lord. God, we pray that through Your Holy Spirit that You would uproot sin. Through Your Holy Spirit, Lord, that You would convict us of sin, Lord. Convict us of sin. Make us feel what You feel about sin. 
a hatred. And we ask, Lord, that You would give us good hearts. We ask, Lord, that You would do that to many around us, God. And we know, Lord, that no one in this room is able to give another man a new heart. Only You, Lord. We pray, God, that You would use us as vessels, Lord, to see men and women saved, called out of darkness. We ask, God, that You would make us faithful sowers of seed. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to work hard and to labor in Your harvest, God. We desire to be used by You, Lord, and we desire for You to be magnified in this city, in this church. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that You would exalt Yourself as a Savior. Reveal Yourself as the Savior of the world. And we cry out to You, Lord, that You would use us, a small group, small in number, that You would use us, Lord, even among the nations, to sow this seed, this glorious Gospel of Your Son, Jesus. Put it in our mouths, Lord. Make, make Your Gospel beautiful and glorious to us. And put it in our lips, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.